Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Yoga podcast. I am so excited to bring you this week's episode. On the show today, I have one of my first yoga teachers, someone who I started practicing asana with, I did a little bit of my teacher training with and who's had a huge impact from a distance on a lot of the yoga that I am practicing today. I have Pradeep Satvamaya on the show today and we're going to be talking about all things Surya Namaskar and we're tracing its origins and we're really getting into sun salutations. Now, before I tell you more about today's episode, I want to quickly remind you that my Pranayama immersive study program and optional teacher training is starting this January. It begins on January 9th. It is completely online. It runs for six weeks. You can also do the entire thing on replay. Enrollments have started a couple of weeks ago and we will be closing the early bird pricing on December 31st. So make sure you check those details out if pranayama is something you're interested in and you're looking to learn it in a very concise, structured and effective way where you can start practicing it for yourself. And if you are teaching and you want to bring this into your classes, then you have a structured approach into that as well. On January 4th, I will be offering an information session. The link to sign up for that is available in the show notes. It's also there on my Instagram handle and anywhere else you connect with me. So make sure you get waitlisted for the information session, but know that the Pranayama course which you've heard me talk about before. You've heard the Pranayama episodes on this podcast. If you haven't, just make sure you go and look back. We've done uh, a whole lot of conversations about Pranayama and I've told you my own reason why I teach it in a certain way. So that's coming up on Jan 9th, which is literally two and a half weeks away from the drop of this episode. So go to the link in my show notes to know more. I will see you in the information session on January 4th. The course starts on January 9th. Early bird pricing runs out on December 31st. If you have any questions, you know how to reach me and we can uh, talk all things Pranayama and get your doubts clarified there. Okay, now let's put all of that aside. I want to put your attention on today's episode. Okay, We have Pradeep who has been doing yoga since he was seven years old. He started learning yoga from his father um, just with a simple few poses. And after he completed his engineering degree, he devoted himself to a full-time study of yoga. And he has a master's in applied yogic sciences from one of the world's first yoga universities. It's the Bihar Yoga Bharti, which is located in Munger in India. And he graduated with a university gold medal. He's he's taught across the world, right from India to Europe to Southeast Asia. And he's been teaching and mentoring many yoga students and yoga teachers. And a lot of teachers I know are are deeply are influenced by him. Okay. He's we've trained with him, we're influenced by him, we look up to him for for wisdom and knowledge. And what I enjoy about Pradeep is not only is he just a very simple, humble person. He embodies a lot of the yoga and he makes it very relatable. So he can take all these complex aspects of yoga and simplify them and make them very relatable, which is why I asked him if he'd talk about classical Surya Namaskar, because it is such a simple yet daunting topic for a lot of yoga teachers. And we as modern practitioners, we know it from the lens of it being very physical. 
So we get into the origins of it. And what I enjoy in this podcast is Pradeep actually has a little slideshow where he shows us photographs uh, and pictures, not photographs, but pictures when we trace the history and the origins of yoga. So I would highly recommend that if you're listening to this, listen to it, but also go on our YouTube channel and watch the presentation part of it. Okay, because that will really give you clarity when he talks about the history and evolution of the sun salutations. Today, Pradeep is the global head of yoga at Shwasa. He is currently pursuing his deeper studies in yoga texts, Ayurveda and modern neuroscience. Pradeep used to own a very successful chain of yoga studios in Bangalore. In fact, I used to work at one of his studios before I moved here and that got bought over by another fitness brand. And he currently is continuing to work at Shwasa and I hope to have more of him on our show and our podcast in future because he has so much to share. I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about Pradeep's work and Shwasa in general, then please head to our show notes at letstalk.yoga forward slash listen and you can find all the links to reach to Pradeep and his work at letstalk.yoga forward slash listen. Here's today's episode. Hi, my name is Arundhati and you're listening to the Let's Talk Yoga podcast. I'm an ex-Bollywood dancer turned yoga and wellness educator. I've built a six-figure business as an immigrant, woman of color yoga teacher with no business background, no handstands, pure instinct and the free information found on Google. If you love doing yoga and you dream of teaching it someday, this podcast is for you. We go over everything from doing and teaching yoga to scaling a small business, living a modern yoga lifestyle and so much more. You'll find interesting, fun, raw conversations along with some tips, tricks, strategies and insights in this podcast. So grab your cup of chai and let's jump in. Hi Pradeep, welcome to the Let's Talk Yoga podcast. Hi Arundhati, good to see you after a while. I know it's been a while. For the listeners, what most of them don't know is you were one of my first yoga teachers when I started. I remember one of my first few asana classes was with you and then the teacher training. I mean, I'm talking 2011, 12, 12 yeah. somewhere there. Yes. Mm -hmm. And since the podcast is three years old and I have been wanting to get you on it for the past three years. So I am very glad that you are here today. I'm glad too. Thanks for inviting me. I would like to uh, talk to you and uh, your audience, people who've been practicing with you. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here too. So let's jump in. Today we'll be talking about Surya Namaskar, sun salutations, right? Mm. So, and there are, because I've learned this from you many years ago, there are different types of Surya Namaskars. There is what I, what I know as the classical Surya Namaskar that we used to do a lot in India. And then there is the new Western set of Western Surya Namaskars. So I want us, I want to be able to have a little more clarity generally about the practice of Surya Namaskar because I feel it's oversimplified in modern day. Okay. Okay. So where, where should we start? Should we begin with how old is this practice? Well, I would say Surya Namaskar is probably uh, some of the new practices in uh, 
the modern day asana practice, the set of asanas that we have, so Surya Namaskara would qualify as a new practice. And this, if you look back at the literature that we have and the history of yoga in its various forms, it's a pretty uh, new practice, I would say, comparatively new. So when somebody says classical Surya Namaskar is thousands of years old, you're saying that's not really accurate? Well, we'll have to uh, get a little deeper into uh, the purpose of the practice and uh, in how that will fit into yoga. So obviously understanding what is yoga is definitely something that is useful. Mm-hmm. And uh, how how you would uh, anyway investigate such questions is going into the existing literature that has come to us and maybe look into it and figure out if there is any mention or any kind of uh, indication towards such practices. If you look at the Yoga Sutras, obviously, we don't find any names of asanas, but the commentaries do call out some names of asanas. And as many of us yoga teachers or students know, a lot of these asanas are uh, mostly the meditative asanas. Mm-hmm. You have the Padmasana, you have the uh, Swastika and uh, Simma. And you know, in Hatha, we also have Siddhasana. And so mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the asana per se, the meaning of course of asana is to sit. And uh, so the intent of asana in classical yoga is to prepare your body in a comfortable, stable position to begin your inward journey or the antaranga yoga, the meditations as we generalize it now. And so that's the purpose. So obviously asana had a limited uh, meaning. And I think additionally in the Yoga Sutras, we also find references to, in the commentaries, I mean, Mm -hmm. we find reference to some relaxation asanas, like resting like an elephant, resting like a a camel. You know, these kinds of relaxation is also uh, mentioned. So probably those are the two major categories you have the meditative asanas and then you have the resting asanas apart from that everything uh, that we know of as asanas the, you know the whole pool of asanas is coming from the much later uh, hatha texts it's coming uh, from uh, the uh, texts like hatha pradipika geranda and various other yoga upanishads there's a lot of yoga upanishads which do mention call out the names of asanas one thing is very consistent across classical yoga and uh, also the uh, Hatha Yogas, that's the meditative asanas. They are consistent. There's no debate and there's no argument over whether this is an asana, whether someone has to do this or not. But when it comes to practices like Surya Namaskara, and for that matter, a lot of the standing practices, quite a few of the inversions that we know of, uh, arm balances that we do quite a lot in the modern day, these uh, don't find a mention in uh, these classical texts and uh, commentaries. And so, Surya Namaskara yeah, has no mention. No mention as the word Surya Namaskara itself isn't mentioned. And uh, if you also look at the purpose, uh, uh, the meaning of Surya Namaskara, a certain kind of reverence to the sun, you know, uh, and uh, a heavenly body or a very important uh, energy source for us on this planet and the material world itself. Mm-hmm. And if you look at yoga, yoga is about a certain freedom from the material uncertainty. You know, uh, so obviously sun and the uh, heavenly bodies, the moon and all of these are influential. There is this worldly energy that influences us. We need to acknowledge, we need to uh, work with it, you know, align ourselves with it. That's important. 
But ultimately, if you look at what is the goal of yoga, is liberation. I mean, ideally, you're looking at not being born in this uh, ecosystem again, where you know, you have the sun, you have the moon, you have the stars, you have gravity, and then all these. And so, sun salutation, as we call it in English, uh, Surya Namaskara itself, don't find a mention in the yogic scriptures, most of the yogic scriptures. But parallelly, maybe other systems of worship and other things does, uh, I mean, elemental worship has always been a part of, you know, our Indian, um, you could say culture or Indian subcontinent, you know, the practice that we have here. No doubt there has been various forms of sun worship or reverence also, not necessarily, you know, worship, but I think reverence, acknowledging it and getting to align ourselves uh, with it or knowing the uh, the influence of the uh, the energy of the sun on us as humans, not just bodies, but also the mind, has always been around. It's uh, I mean, there's no debate around that. I think cultures across the world acknowledge what they could see, right, in, in mm-hmm. the sky, up there. The sun, the moon, the stars, you know, they've always been part of almost all cultures across. So no difference here in India as well. I think we, 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 did, uh, we do have uh, quite a significant... Uh, also, body of knowledge, you know, about uh, the sun, the 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 uh, in say astronomy, we we do understand uh, the the Earth's uh, spin around its own axis and then its movement around the sun, and all of these information is already there. I mean, so which simply means that they they started out looking out at the sun and saying, okay, this energy of the sun is what sustains life on this earth. So it's important for that we understand. So obviously, there is that importance for reverence to sun always there. And so various other practices do exist. Sandhya Vandana, you know, morning, you know, puja ritual, Vedic ritual, where you, you know, do this uh, Sandhya Vandana once in the morning, once in the evening. That's all there. I mean, all of those are there. But would you call that a yoga practice uh, is something that we can always debate about. Okay, we could, mm-hmm. can we include that as a yoga practice? De- debatable. Just like we have included uh, a lot of mantras in the yogic practices, that's also debatable. Originally, was it a yoga practice or are we including that because it has, uh, you know, innumerable benefits uh, is always a different topic that we can talk about. So similarly here, Surya Namaskara, the word itself, uh, I haven't found it anywhere in my study of the Yoga Sutra, the Yoga Upanishads or the Hatha textbooks. But the origins of this practice itself could be ancient. Of course, it is ancient. I mean, it's not like uh, there's a doubt about it. Now that, you know, our, a lot of our present need is to start from the physical aspect of yoga. Mm-hmm. And so the this importance of Surya Namaskara is no doubt what we see in our everyday class, right? The, the first thing that we do is Surya Namaskara. The first part of the section of the class or the first practices anybody learns, you know, as a beginner is Surya Namaskara. Mm-hmm. And so we cannot deny the importance and its present day relevance to our practice but its origins can be traced to other practices definitely and uh, in the modern day we have accepted a lot of other complementing or supporting elements into yoga as we practice in the modern day and so surya namaskara could be one such uh, inclusion uh, into our practice so to answer your question surya namaskara is surya namaskara an ancient yoga practice maybe not but okay. is surya namaskara itself an ancient practice oh yes Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there are practices, different forms of uh, sun worship or reverence to sun. And one form could have been the physical form of this. But more importantly, because this is to do with the physical energy, the sun, the, you know, the uh, solar energy. And uh, there, there are certain 
activities that we do in our everyday life needs this energy right when we are say when you are working in the uh, material world you need the solar energy when you are when you are intellectually working you need the influence of the uh, the moon the lunar energy, lunar energy. this is mm-hmm. a simple probably a simplistic understanding we have and probably valid too and so we all know that energy is coming from the sun so any activity that requires energy a physical energy and energy to spend in the outside there is the sun that comes into the picture worship of sun or channeling the energy of the sun that comes into the picture so a lot of other activities have used this very well mm-hmm. yoga is an internalizing practice you know you go within so largely to do with the moon and of course the moon's energy you could always debate that it's a reflection of the sun but nevertheless it changes mm-hmm. so practices like physical practices uh, like warfare and you know, training for warfare or physical fitness all of these definitely look towards the uh, look towards harnessing the energy of the sun and since in the modern day we also are looking at the physical part of our requirement so obviously it, it is a very uh, you know no brainer inclusion into our modern day practice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so am i uh, making sense so far you're uh, totally making sense i want to pick on a few things that yes, you mentioned right. you uh, there are three things that really jumped at, at me one is you said in the ancient scriptures and the texts we have the meditation and dhyana and everything is is towards that right That's and right. then later on uh, or relaxation ones in in some scriptures and books we also have the relaxation asanas and you'll see the meditation and the relaxation but in my head surya namaskar is a very active practice yeah it's almost contrary to that meditation and relaxation though is it a moving meditation is a question i will say for later so that's mm. one aspect just that compared to what was in the ancient books this is a much more active practice i don't really think there's a question there but just just that that stood out to me yeah so probably i'll also maybe clarify a little more so what i was referring to was the classical yoga, yoga sutras classical yoga. okay yeah okay. yeah yeah uh, and so we haven't talked about hatha yoga okay okay hatha. Hatha. When you come to Hatha, there is this, uh, you know, interplay of energies, right? The, the that's where the, I want to go next. Solar and then, yeah. So that's a Hatha. Maybe you could talk about Hatha Yoga. Okay. How it is important. There are practices in Hatha Yoga that stimulate the solar energy in the body and kind of seeking a balance between the solar and lunar energy in the body. And probably that's where we have picked it up in the modern day. Mm, okay. But even the Hatha texts, we don't find a mention of Surya Namaskar kind of practice. we don't find a mention of it even though asana list uh, is uh, now expanding from what we saw in the yoga sutras now we have uh, practices uh, asanas uh, that are largely meditative we cannot uh, you know uh, skip that uh, even if it comes to hatha yoga there are the uh, mukhya the most important uh, practices are meditative asanas mm-hmm. most hatha books talk about that and then the other asanas uh, that are listed in uh, the uh, hatha text could be classified into one is uh, some asanas that might improve your health you know that that gives you health so again these are not the primary objective of asanas in hatha yoga but they they say incidentally there are these set of asanas that also will keep you healthy mm-hmm. okay that promote health so there is one section of asana in the hatha yoga that helps promote health and they do talk about kindling the uh, agni the digestive the, the agni yes 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 jatra agni uh, so i think that there is the influence of ayurvedic principles also here in hatha 
text that they talk about when they talk about health right they're not really getting into deep into various physiological functions and the healing process and all of that actually it's a very intelligent uh, approach as well and all you have to do is to manage your agni jataragni the abdominal fire and that one is uh, responsible for a lot of the physiological functions for a lot of the transformation that happens in the body and so it's it's a very s- smart move i would say and obviously ayurveda recognizes this and also follows this and if you look at many of the ayurvedic approaches it starts with kindling the agni mm-hmm. and so that is how far the hatha yogis go they don't go deeper into ayurveda and you know understand the physiology or want to make it a part of the practice but what they do understand and rightly so is that okay if we do some physical activity or otherwise breath activity that can kindle the fire i think we could claim that a lot of the health benefits could be drawn from this mm-hmm. and that's what they claim in some of the asanas you will see very clearly and if you look at what are those some of the examples to give you some example paschimottana ardhamatsendra mm-hmm. now if you you know as yoga teachers and practitioners if you visualize an experience of what you do in pashima in ardhamatsendra mayura you know all of this you see okay you're doing something around this uh, navel region the abdominal region and so kindling of the fire is definitely the approach uh, the hatha yogis are taking there that's one set of asanas the second set of asanas but then uh, the other uh, major set of asanas uh, also comes from austerity practices you know austerity meaning uh, where you you try to push the limits of your body of your mind and say doing headstand uh, being in headstand shirasana for long it's not just doing for one you know you, it's 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 still within our limit but we are pushing uh, from our comfort zone so these are called austerity practices uh, so standing on one leg brikshasana is a very common uh, yoga asana right and so that also comes from kind of uh, an austerity practice that hatha yogi is brought in hatha yogi is also practice quite a bit around uh, physical fire mm-hmm. if you look at you know their their practice you can also find that still find that when you go to kumbhamela there is a the physical fire agni and then practices are done around it and for you know so the fire itself the sun energy itself is is been prominent but we are now slowly differentiating the list of asanas in hatha yoga or for that matter classical yoga not directly um, talking about uh, surya namaskara they don't uh, really mm-hmm. mention surya namaskara mm-hmm. but similar kind of practices are there so which is how we can tell uh, that uh, we can uh, you know surya namaskara seems to be uh, you know yoga practice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i i mean the 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 origins of it for me are a mystery and hence this this topic and i've heard some yoga teachers say that it's not a part of yoga which is why i was wondering about the origins but you spoke about the the two energies right the solar and the lunar mm-hmm. so yeah. while we have a, a a surya namaskar we also have a chandra namaskar correct can you talk a little bit about i mean yes surya namaskar is in the morning and it is with the rising sun yeah, but yeah. what about this if i may say so slightly ignored chandra namaskar at least ignored out here okay chandra yeah, namaskar are there any differences between I'm, i'm assuming there are some differences between the two and you said solar is for just all the activities we want to do lunar is for a little more of our contemplative intellectual type of work so and i'm understanding this as her and her the the two opposing energies that we work with in hatha yoga mm-hmm. so 
can you shed a little bit of light on the surya namaskar sure i mean chandra namaskar sorry uh, you mean chandra namaskar okay yeah i think you know you can put uh, surya namaskar like we are now slowly categorizing surya namaskar as not an authentic yoga practice and maybe a fantastic inclusion though smart inclusion and that benefiting a lot of us i think we would also put chandra namaskar under the same uh, bucket so obviously when you talk about surya then obviously the you would have thought about okay there must be you know or we could do something like chandra namaskar and just bring it in point is they don't find a mention in any of these yes yoga texts understood and so it's it's which is why it is debatable or we don't have evidence as of now we could say that you know that it is a yoga practice that yogis practice this uh, and so that is debatable we don't have uh, so i think when we clarify where surya namaskara comes from i think uh, we could also consider chandra namaskara and uh, under the same category and the other thing you asked was is there a difference in uh, these two obviously i think the approach and energy the you 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 expand uh, during uh, the practice even though you know chandra moon mental it should be a mental practice but then this is physical you know it's uh, in many schools it is similar to surya namaskara maybe a couple of asanas change so you are still using the physical body and uh, uh, then you are probably changing the approach to the practice probably you are also changing the breath that uh, you emphasize on in the practice and creating a kind of a, a subtle introverted energy uh, i think at least at the end of the practice like what you said moving meditation probably applies better for chandra namaskara because you know you, you're going inwards as you do the practice but surya namaskara keeps you um, outward i mean of yes. course most of the time you know your body you can experience the flow of energy in the body you can experience sweating you can experience a exertion and so all of that keeps you outwardly oriented and so yeah uh, to answer your question yeah i think th- th- there is an approach there are schools that practice it with a different approach similar kind of asana but a slightly different approach internally what you put forth is different so can i ask you sim- a simplistic question there so if it's morning and it's surya namaskar am i and, and i might be generalizing too much so tell me if i am am i looking at like a bigger inhalation a stronger trying to get that that type of heat going mm. evening am i moving slower am i focusing more on exhalation is there is that type of a approach to seeing this uh, valid or too general well uh, it's actually very interesting right when we think of yoga asana practice we cannot think of it without breath yes but interestingly breath is also not mentioned in any of the asana sections of bit hatha yoga or forget about uh, yoga sutra you know, just three verses on asanas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no mention of breath maybe we infer breath infer that okay breath should be a part of it and and then we are only inferring which means there's no information as to how you will breathe will you breathe longer shorter and probably the breath science itself is different you know that there, there, there are other sciences uh, uh, which which work on uh, breath i think uh, siddha yoga i think that's the, uh, the they do investigate much deeper into breath than they talk about and there's also one other stream swara yoga that's also deeper into the swara the, the channel of breath and and so there are these other parallel streams which do investigate the breath and do employ breath differently for different purposes but in the classical sense we look at just the hatha practices uh breath is not even mentioned in all of the asanas you know multiple uh, meditative asana we said there are asanas for uh, uh, health kindling the fire and i 
the other buckets would be asanas to prepare for the sitting posture and all of this. Anyway, none of these asanas do talk about you inhale and then you go into the practice or you, you nail slowly or deeply and then get into the practice. That kind of, you know, details are not available. It's modern day. Yeah, yeah uh, it could be, it could be, but I think it was more of a default, it could be a default uh, information. When you say move your body, it, you, it meant that you move with the coordination of breath, mm-hmm. but it's not spelled out. Fair. Hmm. And in the modern day, obviously, if you see what of the yoga practices has caught our attention, it's largely the asana and to a secondary extent, breath practices, mm. because both are physical in nature, you know. Breath They're also more tangible in many ways. Yes, which is why they've become so popular. And probably yeah. people have also gone slightly deeper into it. You know, that's how we've come with a whole lot of new asanas, a whole lot of alignments to it, a whole lot of uh, variations, a whole lot of exercises with breath, uh, simply because these two caught our attention or probably at our level of consciousness it's, it's easy to connect to these two and obviously as I spend more time with asana and uh, the breath practices I would come up with nuances of uh, the practice you know maybe someone who's been practicing for long could figure out okay there could be this classification okay there could be this method okay there could be this differentiation mm-hmm. so body and breath to a large extent uh, what we have the present day classification is all modern thing. If you go to classical yoga, it's simply about preparing to sit down to meditate. To meditate. The, yeah. So you're saying the end goal has shifted in some way. Yeah, definitely, definitely has shifted. I mean, the yogis still go a certain way, but the modern day practitioner is there for physical health and wellness. Yes, 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 yes. True. I think um, this also probably uh, brings us back to Surana Muskara. Uh, if you would like to look at a short uh, slide as to origins, where does this modern day Surana Muskara come from? Maybe just my study of it and I'm just putting this together. A mm-hmm. couple of slides. Uh, is that okay? Can I, can I share? That? It is okay. I want to ask you one question before we go to the sure. slides and okay. feel free to answer it after your slides are over. Mm -hmm. At one point, you mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation that a lot of supplemental elements have come into yoga. Yes, yes. What are you referring to? See, in the physical practice, a lot of the other physical forms, uh, sciences have come into yoga, like wrestling for that matter, warfare for that matter, martial arts, gymnastics. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I mean, in India, of course, gymnastic also could be, you know, it was more of folk uh, art. But yeah, I think even that yes. was... You know, I'm saying gymnastics as a very non-Western way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, in the modern day, there has been that influence on that. How about calorie pie too? And you know, the martial arts. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the traditional exercises have contributed to the modern day. Asana part of it, of course. You know, the asana part, it goes well. And uh, on the other hand, there's also a contribution from, say, a lot of other things like Ayurveda. Ayurveda has contributed, at least the, the way we now look at yoga is in combination with Ayurveda. We don't look at it independently. So that's one other science that has come into it. And probably also a lot of the, uh, you know, study of uh, philosophies. You know, apart from Sankhya and yoga, mm-hmm. now many students or many styles of yoga for that matter are influenced by Vedanta philosophy. Mm. So we are bringing Vedanta philosophy also into the yoga uh, practice. And obviously many other philosophies, maybe, uh, you know, Nyaya, Vaisheshika also yes. to some extent. The darshanas in... The darshanas. Right? But originally, 
yoga sankhyan yoga is what is uh, required for the practice and study of yoga and so th- there has been that in and i think probably there are a lot of other small things that might have come in into the practice so it's 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 been evolving you know all okay. along okay and because our modern day need is more of health i think uh, ayurveda and to a large extent uh, modern medical science has also come into the way we understand uh, the practice the way we do the practice okay okay thank you for answering that please go ahead with your slides okay very quickly um, just a few slides we'll start with uh, you know the origins where could this come from okay it's a fantastic practice seems like uh, you know has elements of yoga where you have breath with it you have you know also mantras uh, and other things that are coming to the practice largely in my study i could trace a certain part of surya namaskara to malla yuta or malla training malla wrestlers the ancient wrestling culture in india you know is mallas the 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 uh, and you will find them uh, very you know very often in uh, both ramayana and mahabharata and so very clearly of course if you want to know hanuman uh, was a malla vali sugriva they had a you know do uh, it and then shri krishna uh, in the mahabharata you you probably we've all grown up listening to the story of how shri krishna beats his uncle at malayudha Balarama is brother Bhima all of these you know these are mallas mallas is a wrestling modern it could yeah, probably different rules probably different techniques even but i think that's where it comes from and if you look at mallas uh, wrestling as such even uh, for that matter if you look at how the sport is being played you need uh, of course the whole body agility you know it's it's not just uh, one part of body but what plays a very important role for the mallas is the upper body strength you know lower body stability upper body strength is very important here are some uh, material evidences from temples and other uh, in from india i think you couldn't find more i just wanted to bring up a couple of slides they you, you could see them here you know training in an akara you know as a, a, a not a sandpit it's usually a red soil nice soft and uh, you know it's uh, other soils are also used but i think it also in in the in, in that uh, kind of a space a pit a contained space is where they they train and the upper body strength is vital because largely it is about using your arms and you know your upper body your chest so the neck also the neck the shoulder and neck also becomes very prominent because the very rule is that you're not supposed to submit your upper back onto the floor right when the opponent throws you down uh, you you have to keep yourself from giving up you know from uh, your shoulders the upper back being uh, on the floor so obviously you will work with a lot of uh, you know keep, you can keep your head on the floor though which is why the neck strength then becomes very important the uh, the shoulder strength becomes important uh, the upper back strength the chest and the arms becomes very important in such a r- wrestling thing and so they had their own set of practices to strengthen the upper body and if you look at now surya namaskara where we go down on the floor plank chaturanga astanga urdhomukha adhomukha like in the uh, astanga style or in the uh, what we in shivananda satyananda style we call that uh, dandasana astanga namaskara bhujanga parvata that is what these mallas train that that just that that bit is what they do probably hundreds 150s 200s in a in a, in a training morning you know when they start of the training they do this of course they use it as a warm up and also strengthening their upper body and that bit is very consistent any type of surya namaskara you take it is a consistent bit uh, of course there are other uh, postures added to this 
But this one, danda, it's called. And various forms of dandas are available if you look at Pusti and if you look at wrestling. Malapurana also talks about quite a bit of this. Um, there is different forms of dandas. And one very common one is that uh, we just talked about, you know, uh, Chaturanga Dandasana. Uh, the word danda also appears there. Chaturanga Dandasana. And then you do Urdhamukha, Adhamukha. Chaturanga Dandasana, Urdhamukha, Adhamukha. And that is consistent. It is consistent in Surinamuskara as we do it today. It is consistent in the vinyasas that we do today. So that probably was is the core of the practice and everything else was kind of built around it. So here you could also end, I mean, you could start and end from the standing position or you could just uh, take the plank itself as a starting position, end at plank and keep repeating. Mm -hmm. And the jumpings and the lunges, all of that became part of, uh, you know, this whole exercise. And obviously for the mallas, it was important they build their upper body strength. And uh, you, we could also connect this to a lot of the other asanas that we, 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 we have in the modern day, especially the inversions. Mallas, uh, for them, the upper body strength is important. So obviously inversions is how they build that strength also. And so a lot of the inversions, apart from the one that I mentioned, headstand and other things, mm-hmm. where it was more austerity practices. But some of these modern day inversions that we have is also what a malla would ideally work on. And which is what probably you could see when you uh, look at these. So here are different forms of dandas. You know, they could do it uh, in how you do Chaturanga, Urdhamukha, Adhamukha. There could be different ways of doing this. And that's what you would uh, see here. And uh, uh, I think that could have been, because this is ancient. This is ancient as Ramayana, Mahabharata, and maybe much uh, you know older, right? Uh, and uh, that seems to be interesting, especially when, you know, I mean, there's also a little bit of modern day history uh, where the Europeans started uh, coming to India for various reasons. And then there is this, uh, at a time where physical power was important because there's quite a bit of battles going on, physical warfare going on. And then a certain culture of physical fitness was required and probably as modified. So we already had this. The mullahs, that group practice, but not the general mass. And so the probably the others picked it up, the the ones that would train the army, the martial training, they might have, must have picked a wonderful way to train the upper body for soldiers and so they must have come in. Of course, there are other documentation you know, theories about how Shivaji Maharaj uh, included this in his you know army training. And of course, and, uh, it's been very popular in Maharashtra region, they say, and uh, that's how probably it has come. And also for us in the for us uh, when uh, India was uh, you know the uh, uh, the fight against the English and the the, the fight uh, to, for independence uh, began, and obviously there was a certain need for nationalism and to have our own practices, to have our own kind of training to even uh, get the English out of India. And so probably this became a kind of a practice that was recommended. Whether it was practice en masse, we don't know. I think uh, armies, certain groups of armies might have practiced. And so for physical training, also this became popular. And as a uh, common man, I think bringing this in to... Uh, our own everyday practice for physical health also became started to become popular. This is where the whole shift of yoga for health began. Probably we could put it to about 100 years back when all, all of this started. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we can talk about that on a different podcast. Uh, but I think that's also very interesting how the shift from you know the ancient intent mm-hmm. and how that moved to the modern day popular yoga for health 
is also very interesting because present day we use it for health. Mm-hmm. And so those are a few of the slides. Um, any questions based on these slides? No, it's I'm, I've never heard this approach of the dandas. So it's very fascinating for me because I always thought, especially looking back at, back at classical Surya Namaskar, yeah. I always thought it was about the spine and moving it through flexion and extension. Yeah. And it was mainly for that and it was also it had the mantras and you know it was a full meditative practice so i think my understanding of it is a little more in fragments so this was very helpful so i have two questions for you Uh, one is an observation one's a question one is you were talking about upper back neck strength because they couldn't put that back on the floor in kusti right well i'm calling it kusti Yeah, yeah so also think i think of modern day with everyone with their neck and sitting at their desks it's a good thing we are working in this capacity right that is one but so my question to you is does it matter what type of Surya Namaskar you're doing because I mean I've learned this from you there are different types of Surya Namaskars some classical Mm -hmm. schools have certain tweaks I think correct me if I'm wrong Satyananda does right leg first and then left leg on the way out. But that's right. And then classical does right. I call it classical does right and right, left and left. Mm-hmm. And then we jump into vinyasa. That's right. So yes. yeah. can you help us understand classical Surya Namaskar as a physical practice, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, and vinyasa? Mm-hmm. And does it really matter in its details who does what? Is the question clear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think okay. I think it does. It does. Uh, the variations that we have is for a reason. Why do you have so many options of doing the same uh, practice? And the same asanas have different variations. Correct. Right? Different uh, modifications or variations, you could say. Adaptations, you could say. Mm-hmm. And so, there is this... Uh, I think the same thing applies to Surnamskara. Surnamskara, like I say, uh, I was sharing that has an ancient origin in some uh, parts, but I think the the way we practice it today is definitely modern. I, th- I think which is also why I use the word uh, it, it is was a smart inclusion. Uh, it's fantastic. And I think it should have been uh, a part of uh, physical yoga, at least. Uh, if someone practiced just physical yoga, it should have been a part. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we, we now have it as a part of our thing. And you also mentioned about how in the modern day, we look at it as a, a spine. Uh, Is that correct? Mobility. I mean, I've heard it. I'm just repeating what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I think for certain movement of the spine, largely the uh, the flexion and extension, forward and the backward bend of the spine, I think it, it works wonderfully well. Mm-hmm. Of course, it uh, lacks the twists and the lateral yes. movements and all of that. I think that needs to be added to make it complete. But I think the most important one is the forward and backward movement. That's a more common one, I would say. Uh, backward, we don't do as much, and which is why that's required. And forward, we anyway do, while well, we are seated right now, or you know, what other things that we do, we are kind of flexing at the hip, flexing the spine, and oh, that's a very common one. So I think getting the alignment right, those were all smart inclusions or changes that must have happened to the mala. Dandas, right? These dandas were simply physical, uh, you could say. Of course, they were coordinated with the breath, but physical. And uh, the uh, purpose was very simple. Strengthen the upper body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then for us now, when we use it in yoga, uh, we are looking at how we could make it more conscious uh, in the moment. So breath comes in at every step of it and very nicely coordinated breath in and out. And so there is this 
part where we also hold the breath. And so all kinds of breath training also has already started when you do Surya Namaskara. And uh, the, the relevance of Surya Namaskara or this type of practice, flow practice, is uh, very much uh, needed for the kind of people that we are today. Our minds are not stable and minds are not still. So something moving keeps our mind occupied. And our bodies are sedentary, so it's the opposite. Yeah, also, so I think that works both ways. You know, so you are creating activity. More importantly, even if you look at the classical uh, view, what are you doing with the mind when you move your body in a certain rhythm back to back and forth and mul- uh, multiple rounds continuously? You are keeping your mind occupied. Correct. Now, the second aspect to this is now then uh, is our, who is it suited for, who should do it and how much should we do it. I think it depends on the, the physical ability of the person. Youngsters could obviously could train with a lot more of, uh, could take on a lot more impact on their bodies and joints, you know, y- younger bodies. And so I think even if you look at these mallas, they train, they start when they're very young, yeah, little kids and they peak when they're about 25, 30 years old. And so after that, they slow down. Uh, so, which means these kinds of exercises and impacts can be taken at a certain age. And so, same goes with yoga also. Yeah. So, the uh, kind of impacts that you will uh, have on your joints, uh, especially on your knees and ankles, uh, as you you know do the repetitive is one thing, back to back many rounds, and the other thing is uh, the jumping part of it, you mm-hmm. know, where you take throw the body weight onto the front and back. Of course, you're controlling it with the core, but then. There is initially the, when the training period, there's quite a bit of impact on these lower body joints. And so who should do it? Probably someone uh, younger, uh, better suited, but then someone uh, older, uh, you know, the vata phase of life, the later half of life, and then the joints are not so great. The lubrication is not so good as it used to be when we were younger, even for a vata person. So I think such jumpings could definitely be avoided. Then obviously a walk to the front or a step back uh, very gently is still a good option, uh, which means that there is option for everybody. And so I think we need to pick based on one is our abilities, uh, age, and uh, I think the uh, region that we live in and practice, yes. you know, mm-hmm. the geographical region also makes some sense. You know, in some places, it's, it's good to, you need to warm up your body. Mm-hmm. You need to do a little more intense physical practice mm-hmm. than probably in places where you may not have to do such intense practice, a gentle mm-hmm. And also, I think this will also be applicable to winter practice versus summer and rainy season. And so I think the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, rainy and uh, uh, summer, you slow it down. Winter, you go all you out. You can yeah, yeah, take it. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things are popping up in my head as you're speaking about this. One is, I completely understand. You're saying depends on who the person is. You, it, it's while we do a lot of generalization in modern asana practice, you still take all of these nuances into account. So what about, I have two questions for you. One is how many rounds is recommended a day? Because I've heard some numbers being thrown around Mm -hmm. that you should do X number of Surya Namaskars a day for general health. And then there is the, what I call gold standard of 108 Surya Namaskars. Mm -hmm. And at least my understanding of it has been 108 classical Surya Namaskar. Okay. Okay. And, and and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, but I've noticed people here do 108 of Vinyasa Surya Namaskars. Okay. It just, it freaks me out because of my shoulders, my hamstrings. I don't think I'm mm-hmm. built for 108 Chaturangas multiple times over. 
So I want you to talk to us about or clarify for us what is that bare minimum number? I know it depends on the practitioner, but assuming it's a regular asana practitioner. Yeah. yeah. And this the hype behind, and I'm saying hype behind 108, its significance and what type of Surya Namaskar should we be doing? How often? Can you just for once and for yeah. all give us a masterclass on that 108? <laughs> I, I mean, I'll share what I know. And also, I want to uh, call this out to the audience and everybody listening to this. The conversation is now moving from what is classical, what is in the textbook to now what a yoga teacher would do with uh, the uh, additional information about, you know, uh, what is required for health and uh, what... Uh, medical science would recommend, you know, those bits are coming in. So these you won't find again, you won't find in the text. So we've now, even the previous question and this question, all of this is more of a present day yoga teacher with all the resources that we have. Uh, I'm going to answer based on all of this. Okay. Because obviously there's no mention of Surya Namaskara. Obviously there's no mention of how many rounds of Surya Namaskara you need to do in the classical text. Mm -hmm. So coming to the point, firstly, if you look at what is the, the objective uh, or the, how how are we using yoga asanas in the modern day? If I have to connect it to something in the medical science, obviously I will first look at Ayurveda. And even if you connect it to modern medical science, that's okay. We could also talk about that. But connecting it to Ayurveda, what what practice is this asana practice that we're doing? Uh, what practice this this equivalent to in Ayurveda? Because Ayurveda is a health science, and so obviously they're recommending certain things to do for health. Mm -hmm. And so where does this practice, physical activity or asana practice come? It uh, In Ayurveda, it's called Vyayama. Mm -hmm. I think we've used, uh, we've heard of this word in the modern day as well, as exercise, a simple translation, exercise, Vyayama. And in Ayurveda, Vyayama is one of the means of attaining and maintaining good health. One of the means. Obviously, there's a lot of others. There is the diet. There is the uh, the sleep. You know, the uh, I know they very clearly mentions all of this. Then there is uh, something called the bodily urges, at, at, attaining to bodily urges. I think very important Vegas. And of course, there is the uh, detox practices, daily detox, Tinacharya, Rutucharya. So quite a list of practice is recommended by Ayurveda. And Ayurveda being a medical science, we, we can, uh, I think we can accept that and saying that, okay, this is what it needs to be done for preventive health, maintaining good health. Now, of, of all these practices, what stands out or what can be equated to what we're doing in the present day, even though we're using yoga asanas, is we are actually doing Vyayama of Ayurveda, right? For most of us, in physical fitness. And to, uh, and physical fitness is connected to mental well-being as well. So yes. that is connected. And so we're doing Vyayama. And then it becomes clear, okay, what is Vyayama of Ayurveda recommending in terms of how many rounds and how long you should do, when you should do, what age. And I think that becomes an interesting uh, piece of um, information that we can gather from the ancient text. Vyayama section of Ayurveda is useful in understanding what is that we need to do with the yoga asanas and how much and what is the limit. So based on that, I would say Ayurveda Vyayama recommends uh, a certain physical activity every day as part of dinacharya. It comes under dinacharya, meaning everyday activity. Of course, there is rules and regulations. Who should do it daily? Who should not? Mm -hmm. And also, uh, youngster uh, kids shouldn't be doing it, or older people shouldn't be doing it. There, there are all kinds of rules and re regulations, do's and don'ts. But generally speaking, 
practice it every day mm-hmm. how should you practice and uh, you should uh, practice uh, usually the recommended means are uh, similar ones the malla the exercises that we talked about or equestrian swimming archery these are the uh, you know physical activities that uh, they did in the past so ayurveda just uh, talks about this but one very principle level information that we can gather is that it says vyayama should be done uh after an empty stomach and all all those rules come from there you know because dinacharya if you look you would have already gone to the toilet you uh, cleansed and all of that and then you practice vyayama so that empty stomach is there we can pick up that second part is it says you'll have to practice uh, practice it until there is ayasa created ayasa is exertion created in the body so this is the cardio that we talk about in the modern day right you know you get your heart working beyond its limit you know push it beyond limit so Ayasa is a word used in Ayurveda, so we have to practice until ayasa is created. Ayasa would be shortness of breath, easy to identify. You know, we are short of breath, and mm-hmm. but there's also a whole concept of ati vyayama, over exercising, too much exercise. That which very, happens a lot too. Yes, and and one good indicator is if you are short of breath, if you're gasping for air. you cannot uh, uh, you know um, easily take in the next breath or you know, of course you're creating ayasa physical uh, exertion but then the breath could be a good indicator that's when they say stop the practice and the other indicators that they say is the sweat part of it maybe that's not uh, i mean on the other part we need to bear in mind is ayurveda is talking about how you would uh, use the knowledge in india so obviously in indian climatic condition the sweating to a certain extent yeah instant in some places but in some places of course it will take time but sweat on the forehead sweat in the chest and the arm but still they give indicators as to how long you could go oh, with the uh, practice and then they say stop and they they talk about the ill effects of ativayama over exercise mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and uh, so i think uh, that bit is what will help us understand uh, how we should be practicing yoga asanas as we do in the modern day because no other principles in the yoga text talk about this there's no limit there's no mentioning say that you do you know uh, each uh, asana you do it for five times mm. there's no mention of such so obviously we cannot infer such information it's open to interpretation as long as it's passed on from the lineage guru mm. passing it on to the students there's some information we can gather from there but very academically speaking we don't have information mm-hmm. of this but now that we are practicing asanas as a vyayama Uh, then we can borrow information, do's and don'ts, principles of Vyayama of Ayurveda, mm-hmm. and so I would recommend maybe uh, anybody interested uh, to to further uh, uh, read uh, the Vyayama part of Ayurveda, and I think that will be useful. But to, just to answer your question, hundred and eight again, hundred and eight is a very sacred number for us here in India. And, uh, the Vedic uh, practices, uh, rituals, all of them, you know, cling around this hundred and eight. Of course, it has its own significance. probably if not 108 uh, fractions of that you know one third uh, sorry a quarter of it half of it or other fractions of 108 is also very commonly used and so probably the need to do 108 surya namaskar in the context of the knowledge of vyayama of ayurveda is not required mm. it surely it did definitely get into um, a case of uh, over exercising or what you call ati vyayama mm-hmm. but Ayurveda also very clearly mentions how you would develop this ability. You know, uh, you know, it's not that you know. Say we we all practice say five rounds every day, and one fine day we have a challenge where we do hundred and eight. 
that's not the approach of Vyayama in Ayurveda. You need to develop it very slowly. So Gradually, you, increments. Yes, yes. There is, the body adapts. Mm-hmm. So you give time for the body to adapt. So say if you're doing five, you then you push it to eight rounds. Give Do that eight rounds for some time where the body adapts. And then you would push it to 10. So don't shock the system in many ways. Absolutely. That's the principle in Ayurveda. Very mm-hmm. clearly mentioned. It's not only for, uh, you know, for the uh, physical practice, but it also includes for the changes that we make in life. Diet changes that we make in life. Say sleeping hours that we usually, you know, New Year, you make resolution, you want to wake up early or whatever else. No? Any changes in our daily life, there is a method to which I very clearly talked about in Ayurveda. And so asana, even increments that we do in our physical practice has to be this way. I think it's a, it's common sense uh, to an extent, right? If you look at it, you know, can I run a marathon? I mean, you would think it would be. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen people who jump from beginner's yoga classes into 108. Yeah, I think that is surely to be a award. I think that that's, you know, that, you know, that I think what is happening there is the very purpose that we all came to yoga, the very objective is being lost. Because if I come to yoga for health, I am compromising health for the, uh, I don't know, for probably a certain identity that I gain by doing Hadanate Surya Namaskara. It's very ego-driven, right? In some way? Yes. Uh, So so we are actually, if you look at that way, then obviously if you listen to the body, the body will tell you. Mm. Which is... um, also very interesting, you know, the modern day exercise. We don't have a, have a set uh, number of practices and everybody do that. Body has its own intelligence. I mean, modern exercise, group exercise, we've been doing for a few years now. True. It's nothing, it's not ancient. Nobody was doing this kind of, uh, you know, time. Vyayama is talked about. And so there is a certain kind of, uh, but that usually uh, would uh, amount to 30, 40 minutes of practice. Mm-hmm. But daily, every day. Ayasa is required. Also, why that was uh, 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 the case was because the lifestyle itself was pretty active. Fair. Mm. You know, and that's a better way to, uh, you know, benefit Mm. than doing one hour or 90 minutes of intense practice and not doing anything for the rest of the day. And then sitting the whole day, yeah. It's not good. Instead, Mm. you do only 30 minutes of your practice, but very active throughout the day. That's how our bodies have evolved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what uh, you know uh, uh, benefits or is more effective. Mm-hmm. And so, in the long run, if you're very interested in improving your health and want the most effective practices, listen to your body. Body has evolved its own way of you know uh, how much to do. But our minds have taken over. It's true. I read something, someone says something, and someone is listening. And somebody else did it, and it yeah, yes. uh, uh, yeah. right. So minds have taken over a body's. Uh, you know, signals, you know, body is definitely throwing out signals all the time. Yes, Listen the mind's not that. listening. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I always have, have said this out loud sometimes is the yogis kept it simple and they, it, it's just common sense in so many ways. We are not used to simple solutions. We want to complicate yeah. it and then find more complicated answers for a problem that doesn't need to be that complicated. I agree with that statement. I want to be mindful of your time, but I, I want to ask you one more question here, if I may. Would you call Surya Namaskar a moving meditation? Yeah, I mean, you could also use it as a moving meditation. Okay. I mean, it's not that Surya Namaskar itself is meant for that. Obviously, we are also tracing its origins since modern in the sense and all that. 
anything can be a moving meditation but surya namaskara is a kind of tailor made for it kind of you know how do you uh, mean way, uh, i mean because there's very beautifully incorporated breath and breath is how you would stay grounded if you're looking at a meditative state of mind you cannot skip breath you cannot be erratic with your breath and you cannot breathe through your mouth mm-hmm. uh, it has to be through the nostrils so that element is there and uh, if you look at the other aspect uh, is uh, the space you know the space that you would cover in surya namaskara surya namaskara is the deep practice that covers the maximum space that the body can reach you know uh, the body you know when you reach your hands up and go down you go down all the way to the floor and then you also stretch yourself as far back as you can mm-hmm. and so in a way spatial orientation you know we are reaching out connecting to the space around us and to the maximum and so this itself uh, uh, is also a kind of awareness of the space around is essential for meditation and this is creating that opportunity to be aware of the space aware of bodily movement and it's rhythmic movement it's it's you know we we keep moving in and out of the practice and so th- there are some of these elements that are fantastic Uh, and that's why this is really well suited for a moving meditation so i think there are cultures which do such practices as part of their ritual not so much as a physical exercise i think buddhists do quite a bit of these kind of similar kind of prostrations if you if you've seen them and they keep doing it probably the whole day there are other kind of prostrations where you move from okay you're also moving forward in space through prostration so i think there are these some of these exist in the ritual side religious practice side of it true mm-hmm. and i think it's also prepares your mind trains your mind you know, to be ready when you're actually at the end of that ritual or when you're opening up when you're surrendering as part of the religious uh, practice but in yoga as you uh, ask about meditation part i think it opens up really well for meditation it's a, a well suited practice for a moving meditation you could slow down you could uh, yet be very grounded and uh, look at uh, the rhythm of the whole breath and the, the movement in the body the circulation in the body and so a lot of things happening but it gets to a point where it becomes consistent and rhythmic right a lot of stimulus but then it can also become very consistent and mm-hmm. that could be a, a nice inward going uh, a practice mm-hmm. wonderful i feel like i have so many more questions for you uh, but i will save them for for another time definitely i think uh, yeah we should we should anytime uh, if we can uh, you know find a common time i think let's do more in the sense what is required i mean what is uh, useful and let's do that uh, I'll be I'm going to uh, use I am I am so happy to hear that because once you have given me the green signal which you just did I will keep circling back I hope to have you more on the podcast and I hope we can have I want the listeners to be exposed to your wealth of knowledge and experience that you have I know you're very humble and quiet about it but you've made a tremendous impact not only on my yoga journey and and life in general but all the other teachers so i am so glad you are here thank you for your time i will link to everything where people can connect with you on our show notes but thank you so much for being here this was wonderful thanks arundhati thanks for inviting and you know this conversation also i mean uh, i look for opportunities to learn more in your case you know i think uh, 
this need not be just one way that I'm sharing, but I think I would also like to hear from you. You teaching um, in North America, and obviously, as you as you teach a different set of people, there's a certain insight that comes to you. And all of that is, I think, required as we walk on this path and understand better, understand what is more efficient. And so, yeah, I think sometime I would like to hear from you as well. Oh, anytime. I mean, and, I mean. Uh, like listen to what's happening and what's been your experience and insights that you've drawn from teaching uh, in North America. Mm-hmm. I will uh, I will share that with you sometime. I'm just somebody who ended up being at the right place at the right time. And I think people around me are very generous and they put up with a lot of my little yoga that I know really kindly. So yeah, it's been a journey. I will uh, I will tell you all of that. Yeah, I'd like to hear. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here. And I hope that we as the Let's Talk Yoga podcast community get to hear more from you. I hope so too. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for listening. I hope you found that valuable. As always, everything is linked at letstalk.yoga forward slash listen. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to leave us a review and a rating. It always helps to get this podcast into the hands or ears of other yoga teachers and students. I will see you next week with a brand new episode. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.